This morning to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number three, we're going to begin at verse one. Last week I told you that for the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And of course, next week is Mother's Day, so we'll just take a little pause on that and focus in on our moms, and we'll see where the Lord takes us after Mother's Day, but just have really been burdened about the necessity of the Holy Spirit and why we need Him in this hour, this critical time. I'm going to tell you, without the Holy Spirit, you are not going to make it in the days that lie ahead. You need power from on high. And that is who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. And He is God living in us. Empowering us to live these lives that we've been called to live in these last days. So today we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to look here at Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. What a word. One translation says, who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you? Another translation says, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. And yet another translation says, who has cast an evil spell on you? Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or, or instead did you receive it by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This morning, just for a few moments, I want to share with you a very simple message entitled, Bewitched or Baptized. Bewitched or Baptized. Make no mistake about it here. Everyone in this room is either operating under a bewitching spirit or operating under the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. Every person in this room is either walking in their flesh, trying to achieve all that God has called them to do in their own strength, or they are walking in the Holy Spirit. There is no option. Those are the only two ways that man can go. Either you are bewitched, living for yourself, or you are baptized, living by the power of Almighty God. And I pray that your heart would be open to this today. Father, glorify your name this morning. Lord, we desire to see you lifted up so that you may draw every heart unto yourself. Because Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. Lord, what a joy, what a privilege it is of knowing that you have brought your spirit 
into the hearts of men and women. And that now, the life that we live, we now live by faith, putting our trust completely upon the Holy Spirit of God abiding within us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see the true condition of our heart and our lives. Open up our ears that we may hear truth that sets us free. May those who live under a bewitched spirit have that spell broken today in the name of Jesus Christ. May we see how we have become so reliant upon the flesh that we have no reliance for the spirit. Lord, help us to see that today, I ask. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him that you love him in Jesus' mighty name. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, I was meditating upon our time together this morning. And I was reminded in that time of meditation and waiting upon the Lord of something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 8. He said, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now Paul obviously was hearkening back to a day when cities would build walls around their perimeter to protect their citizens from an invading force. It was at that point that they would set centuries or watchmen on those walls to constantly monitor and watch the horizon. If at any point the watchman saw an advancing army, he would then set the trumpet to his lips and he would sound the alarm, not only to call the troops to battle, but to prepare the city and the citizens for an invasion. This was not a time for the watchmen to be indecisive. It was not a time for them to be uncertain. It was not a time for them to hesitate or to be vague. Because the very survival of that city depended upon him being clear, strong, decisive, and certain. And to sound forth a bold declaration of war. I am a fourth generation Pentecostal. This Pentecostal faith began on my mother's side with my great-grandmother who was born just prior to the Isuzu outpouring in Los Angeles, California, which is really the birthplace of the Pentecostal movement. She was Pentecostal, my grandmother is Pentecostal, my mother is Pentecostal, I am Pentecostal by the grace of God, my son and my daughter and my daughter-in-law Pentecostal, and by the grace of God, should the Lord tarry, my grandchildren will be Pentecostal, my great-grandchildren will be Pentecostal. Listen, I thank God I am a Pentecostal Christian in Jesus' name. I must be alone today. Anybody else thankful for this Pentecostal faith? I believe if you cut me, I'd bleed in tongues. That is how committed I am to the Pentecostal faith. Now, don't, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, so let me make this perfectly clear. I respect all branches of this Christian faith. 
And I thank God for their many contributions to the kingdom of God Almighty. I thank God for our Baptist brothers and for our Wesleyan brothers and our Lutheran brothers and our Presbyterian brothers. I don't want anyone to think that because I am thankful I am Pentecostal that I'm saying we're better than anyone else. That is not the case. I'm just simply saying that I am unashamedly and unapologetically Pentecostal. I am not ashamed of this Pentecostal faith and our commitment to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and His ongoing work in the life of the believer. But this morning I've got to tell you that there is a battle raging over this Pentecostal experience And sadly, I have to report to you that few are, as Jude put it, contending for this Pentecostal faith. And I fear that that is in large part because there is uncertainty within their churches and even within their pulpits. That rather than a distinct, decisive, clear, and clarion call to a commitment to the ministry and moving of the Holy Spirit in the 21st century, we have hesitated and we have even been vague when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. For fear of offending people, for fear of having to explain what is happening, of turning people off, of no longer being able to be trendy and fashionable, we have said that we believe in the work and moving of the Holy Spirit, but give Him no time to actually work and move in our midst. Or then we regulate His activity to a classroom or somewhere off campus where we don't have to worry about things getting out of control and having to explain to anyone what is happening. Can I tell you, we've come a long way from Acts chapter 2. You may remember that when the Spirit initially was poured out on the 120 in the upper room, there was a controversy among those that heard it. They even accused them of being drunk. But they didn't cower away. Peter just stood up and said, These are not drunk as you suppose, seeing that it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. They didn't cower away because there was controversy. Instead, they stood boldly and said, This is exactly what the Bible teaches, and we're going to continue in it because we know that it's not by might, not by power, but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, can you say amen to that? For some reason, we're ashamed to be Pentecostal today. We're ashamed to say that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it when I consider the days that we are living in. When I consider the attack of Satan upon this generation. I don't understand why we're so ashamed to be Pentecostal. Listen, Hollywood is not ashamed and is certain that they will continue to promote in their movies and TV shows a godless lifestyle and one void of any true sense of morality. Artists and performers are certain that they will continue to provide the soundtrack for that lifestyle. Politicians are certain about their intention to protect abortion and to continue the slaughter of the unborn and to legitimize every form of sexual 
deviancy that is imaginable. But while the peddlers of filth and all that is ungodly and antichrist are lifting their trumpet and making a certain sound declaring war on our families, morality, and children, the church is uncertain because we cannot decide what we're going to do with the Holy Spirit of God. James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And if we are unstable concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if we're double-minded in it, then it is going to create an instability in our lives, in our churches, in our families. At some point, we have got to come to one mind and return to the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are the Elijahs of our day that say, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Choose this day what you are going to do with the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm not certain about a lot in this world today and there's very few things you can be certain about but I am certain that there is an enemy and I am certain that he has come to steal to kill and destroy but I am also certain that at the same time Jesus is presently building his church upon the rock of his confession and he is building us in a way that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it in Jesus name which means that we are the only entity that can stop the agenda of hell and never be defeated. And yet in an hour when the world needs us most, we are cowering away or we are just considered a social club. My prayer is that we would no longer be stuck between two opinions, unstable in all our ways, being double-minded, but that we would lift up the message of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power to our lips again and boldly declare that He is a available today and this promise is for you for your children and for those afar off even to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ because without him we can do nothing but with him all things are possible in Jesus name come on somebody give him praise if you believe that today we need power from on high in Jesus name Paul saw the uncertainty and the hesitancy in the Christians of Galatia. He had already shared with them his concern in Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away. Those two words, turning away, were military words that were used to describe desertion when a soldier would desert his platoon or desert his army. He's saying, I marvel that you as the soldiers of Christ are deserting so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a, listen to this, different gospel. He would go as far as to say in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. He was saying, I marvel at how soon you have defected. I, I am marveling at how soon you have deserted the true gospel of Jesus Christ and turned to a different gospel. A gospel that has actually brought a curse upon you. You've twisted the word of God to accommodate your desires and you are now under a curse. And now in chapter 3 he asks them, Who has bewitched you? 
Again, I want to remind you of what other translations say because it, it helps clarify here. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has fascinated or bewitched or cast a spell over you? Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. Who has cast an evil spell on you that you should not obey the truth? The idea here is that of charming someone. It is the idea of being under a hypnotic spell. That the words were so charismatic. That the, the way it was presented to you was so enticing that it, it fascinated you. It, it charmed you. He says, who, who has cast a spell on you and has caused you to leave your senses so that now you're abandoning the truth that sets you free and you're going after your own flesh? Paul was troubled because these believers who had been previously committed to obedience to the truth had received the Holy Spirit, begun in the Holy Spirit, suffered persecution for the Holy Spirit, and had seen miracles among them through the power of the Holy Spirit, had now fallen under a demonic delusion, a satanically induced fascination that inspired defection from the power of the Holy Spirit to complete and total reliance on their own flesh and on their own understanding. And you need to understand that that has always been the strategy of the enemy concerning the church. Satan is not attacking the world. They're already his captives. His attacks are to the body of Christ. Because as I said, we are the only entity in the earth that can take on the agenda of hell and has been guaranteed to overcome as long as we continue in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so his attack is against you and I today. And his strategy has always been to get us to defect from the power of the Holy Spirit of God and to rely on our own strength and to rely on our own understanding of things. We need to understand that from the moment the serpent slithered into Eve's world, insinuating that God had been lying to Adam and Eve all along, and that the provisions that he had provided were not enough, and that only after eating the fruit that was forbidden by God would her eyes really be open to possess the knowledge that she and Adam needed to direct their life, Satan has been charming and fascinating mankind with pleasure in order to get us to desert God and to lean upon our own strength and our own power. And you see that all throughout the Word of God. So many examples that I want to give you today. I'm going to give you a few. Because all throughout the Word of God, we have testimony of men and women who started out in the Spirit, relying upon God, and were able to do great feats for His glory and His honor, but then eventually became bewitched by something or someone that drew them away from God so that they sought completion and perfection in flesh rather than in the Spirit of God. You see it in the defection of Samson. A man empowered mightily by the Holy Spirit. The stories of Samson are legendary. He killed an army with the jawbone of a donkey. He ripped the gates of a city off of their hinges and carried them uphill. 
And it wasn't because he had bulging muscles as he's often depicted in comic book settings. The men and women just wondered where his strength came from. I think he was a very average looking man. It wasn't his physical power that made him such an ominous figure. It was that he walked with God and the Holy Spirit was empowering him to do great feats. And yet one day he became bewitched and charmed with the beauty of a woman named Delilah. She lulled him into a deep sleep in her lap, shaved his head, ending his commitment to God, and then called for the Philistines. And you know this story, many of you have just from Sunday school. Upon the arrival of those Philistines, she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, This is Judges 16 and verse 20. He said, I will go out. As before, at other times, and shake myself free. So he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Imagine that. He had become so indifferent to the presence of God that he couldn't even tell when the Spirit had left him. So deadened by that point, he didn't even know that the Spirit had gone. Wow. You think about that. Here is a man... If you know his story and pay a close attention to it, throughout his entire life he toyed with the things of God while flirting with the world. He did want God there so that he could immediately call upon God to bail him out of an enemy attack, but he was bewitched with what the world had to offer. He was constantly going after strange flesh and women. He was weakened by that. And so he constantly was in this, this paradox. He, he was constantly wanting God there for emergency situations, but he was, he was also flirting with the world. He wanted the best of what the world had to offer. And the only thing he had not compromised in his vow to God, which was called a Nazarite vow, is that his hair had still never been shaved. Everything else he had compromised. Everything else he had tore down. That was the last commitment that he had to God. And then finally one night he is bewitched by the beauty of this woman Delilah. He is lulled into a sleep in her lap. And while he is sleeping, having told her the secret to his strength, she shaved his head and then said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And when he wakes out of, out of his slumber, he's not afraid. Because he believes that he can just go through all the motions as he has in the past. And that God is going to deliver him once again. But by this time he's so dead that he doesn't even know that the Spirit had left him. And though he went through all of the theatrics, the enemy was able to overcome him. Gouge out his eyes. And he would spend the rest of his day grinding the corn of the Philistines until he took their lives one day in a remarkable moment. Folks, I want to tell you that that is a prophetic message of what is happening to the 21st century church in the United States of America. We have Christians today who want God there in an emergency, but they are toying with the things of God while they are fascinated with this world. They want to serve God on Sunday, and they want Him there if there's a crisis, but they really want the world. They're flirting with the world, and all that fascinates 
fascinates them with the world. Folks, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. It is just that simple. And my fear is, is that now we've fallen asleep in the lap of this world. And my fear is, what enemy are we going to be facing when we finally wake up and we shake ourselves thinking we're going to overcome, but we are overcome by the enemy because long ago the glory of God has departed because we wanted the world rather than God. Folks, we need to come out from this world and be separate unto God and live godly holy lives in Jesus' mighty name. What enemy is going to be upon us when the church discovers that the Spirit has departed? What enemy is going to be upon you when you find out that even though you go through the motions and you pray and you read and you memorize Scripture, that the Spirit has already departed from you and you have no power to overcome, but you are overcome. That, that scares me. That, that is a deep concern in my heart and in my life. The Bible says that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. You can grieve His Spirit. You can quench His Spirit so that He departs. And that is a frightening thought, but it is the reality of the hour. You know, I, I sometimes think of all of the men and women that I've seen over the last 21 years here as a pastor that they did just what Samson did. They, they were flirting with the world and toying with the things of God. They would come to church and, and they would sing the songs and they would listen to the messages, but they always were flirting with the world and what the world had to give them. And, and they were fascinated and even bewitched with it. But folks, what are you going to do when the doctor calls you up with a bad report? What are you going to do when your husband says, I'm leaving you? What are you going to do when your, your wife says, I've been having an affair? What are you going to do when your kids are on drugs and they cannot get off of them? And all of a sudden you shake yourself and you get back to church and you read the word of God, but you find that you have no power with Almighty God. I'm thinking of the seven sons of Sceva. You know the story in Acts chapter 19. These are seven sons that they thought that they could reduce a relationship with God to a formula. And if they said the right things and they proclaimed the right name, that they would be able to exercise demons from demon-possessed men and women. And one day they tried and the demon spoke through the man and said, Jesus I know and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And that demon leapt upon those men and tore them to pieces. I'm going to tell you, friends, we cannot fool with demonic power. If you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you, you will never make it in this last day. We need Him because greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. In Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God the praise for that? You see it in King Saul. You know, King Saul is a paradox. Some people look at King Saul and say that God did not want King Saul to be the king. That is not the case. God did not want Israel to have a king. But when they demanded a king, God chose Saul. He chose him. And it is my conviction that God did everything that he could 
without violating Saul's free will to secure the success of Saul, even empowering him with the Holy Spirit in a way very few were in the Old Testament. Some of you may remember Samuel the prophet came to King Saul and he told him that he would meet prophets along his way and then the Holy Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. I love that. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. I love that. He gave him another heart. Your heart is your will. He gave him another will. He gave him a will to please the Lord. And all those signs came to pass that day and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? What an amazing story. He stands before the prophet Samuel and Samuel prophesies to him, God is making you the king of Israel and this is what is going to happen to actually prepare you for what you are called to do. God does not call you without equipping you to do what he's called you to do in Jesus' name. And he equipped him. And the Bible says that it happened so quickly that as he turns his back to leave, immediately God puts in him another heart. A heart to please God. A heart to do the will of God Almighty. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in such a powerful way that he prophesies along with the other prophets and the people who knew him formerly were saying, what is it that has come upon the son of Kish that he is now prophesying with the prophets? Even they recognized the transformation that had happened in him. Can I tell you what a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does when He comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be turned in a moment into another man, into another woman. He puts a new heart inside of you. All of a sudden, there is now a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and everything has become new. It doesn't mean that you're not going to grow and develop. But it does mean that when he rearranges your life, that literally now is gone the taste for the world and now there is a taste for the things of God in Jesus' mighty name. Ezekiel 36 and verse number 26 says, I will, put a, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. When you are fully saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the missing element with salvation today. We bring people to an altar and we say, say this prayer and you are saved. My God, help us. 
To know that there is more to salvation than saying a prayer that somebody else generated. Salvation means I am dead to my old life. I hate how I used to live because it grieved the Spirit of God. And today I want to live for you. And God puts a new heart in you. And there is such a dramatic transformation that occurs in you that the people that formerly knew you say, What has happened to you? What has come upon you? You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't say the things you used to say. You don't go where you used to go. And when I'm around you, I feel a little uncomfortable. That's because God is living inside of me. And it is no longer me that lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody, give God the praise for that. Sadly, rather than nurturing that relationship with the Lord, rather than developing that moving of the Spirit, Saul quickly became bewitched with himself. And he took matters into his own hands. He obeyed God only to the point where it was inconvenient. He made up his own theology. And then one day in gross rebellion, the prophet Samuel came to him and he said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? When you were little... When you had no confidence in yourself, I was able to lift you up and do great things in your life. But now you think you're something. Now you're relying on your position and your power, and my spirit is gone. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, say this word with me, obeying the voice of the Lord? Remember that. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then some of the saddest words in all of Scripture, 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 says, At that time the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Let me tell you, if you refuse to walk by the Spirit and put all of your confidence in your flesh, you will be distressed and troubled all the days of your life. You need power from on high. Tragically, many of you know the prophetic words of Samuel came to pass on the eve of his death on that battlefield when that night he inquired of a witch. It actually came full circle because he abandoned God and leaned on his own understanding and was bewitched and enamored with his own might and his own strength. He not only lost the presence of the Holy Spirit, but in the end went after a witch himself, which should be a sad reminder to all of us what we are capable of doing if we are not restrained by the Holy Spirit of God. Don't ever allow yourself the luxury of saying, I could never do that. You'd be surprised what you could do if the Holy Spirit is not restraining your heart and your mind. Saul once was little in his own eyes. He had no confidence in himself. 
And he was lifted up by God, but when he was bewitched by his own self, that was when he fell. You know what struck me as I read this is that word obedience. Have you ever thought of the role that the obedience plays in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I got to ask you a question. Who has bewitched the church that we believe today we no longer have to live in obedience to God? How did that ever get into the 21st century theology? Where did we ever come up with this idea that I don't have to study the word of God and obey it to be a believer? Today we actually justify disobedience by grace. We have turned grace into a license to sin. And when you tell people, no, you have to obey God, they say, what are you talking about? I'm saved by grace, not by works. That has nothing to do with the fact that we are still called to be obedient to Almighty God. Remember what Jesus said. He said in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 16, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. I love those words. Did you hear it? If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. He is not going to empower anyone who does not want to live in obedience to God. If you think that God is going to empower you to live your life the way you want to live it, you have got another thing coming. He sends His Spirit to those whose intent is to obey God in all things that He does. Whoa, thank you for that very weak amen. Thank you for that weaker one. Can we all agree on this thing or not? I mean, I know you don't like that, but that's the reality. Acts 5 and verse number 32 says something similar. He says, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. God gives his spirit to those who obey him. You know what we often say? We say, if God strengthens me, I'll obey him. God says, if you obey me, I'll strengthen you. You say, but I can't obey him without the Holy Spirit. But you have a volition to do the will of the Lord. And what God is saying is, when you show me that you want to obey me, I will make sure that the power for you to carry out that obedience is there for you in that moment. I love the, uh, I love the idea of, of Peter when he walked on the water. Let me ask you, did Peter have the ability to walk on the water? That this isn't a trick question. Did he have the ability to walk on the water? Of course not. He didn't. But he did have a command from Jesus. Get out of the boat and walk. So now he has to make a decision. Do I wait in the boat for God to come and physically take me out of the boat and put me on the water? Or do I step out in obedience and believe that when I put my foot down, the power is going to be there for me to do it? And folks, I'm going to tell you, when we read the Word of God, we may say, God, I don't know how to do it, but I'm not going to wait for you to make me do it. I'm going to take a step of faith and believe that when I do, all the power that I I need to do it'll be there in Jesus mighty name come on somebody give him praise oh I gotta hurry I got at least 10 more illustrations you want to hear them on nah. 
Listen, I could tell you, Peter, and how under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Or by my Spirit, he revealed to you my true identity. Now, that is an awesome moment, and Peter must have been incredibly humbled by that. Unfortunately, it wasn't long after that that Jesus began to tell them, I am going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, and I am going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, you got to know you're bewitched when you're rebuking Jesus. But he rebukes Jesus and says, Jesus, be it far from you. This is never going to happen. But Jesus immediately calls him out on it and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you are mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. All of us should tremble to think that we can go from being led by the Spirit to led by the flesh that quickly. Folks, you and I have got to keep our mind upon the things of God and not become bewitched by the things of man. Unless you cast stones at Peter... Let me just ask you, how many of us have come into church on Sunday morning, lifted up our hands and said, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God, I'm going to serve you to the very end, but by the time we get to our cars in the parking lot, we're already thinking about other things. We're already thinking about what we got to do this week. Some of you, even while I'm preaching, are texting yourself to remind yourself of what you've got to do. You're more concerned about what movie you're going to see this weekend than you are about the word of the living God and then we wonder why when tragedy strikes we fall apart it's because we're mindful of the things of man but not the things of God folks don't be distracted by the world keep your eyes on God in Jesus Christ in the interest of time let me just plow ahead Probably the most frightening illustration is that the Bible says that before the coming of the Lord, there is going to be a great falling away. That there is a strong delusion that is going to come upon men and women because they had no love for the truth and obeying it. Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold in the last days. They'll be bewitched by iniquity. They'll be under a spell, the hypnotic tendencies of this world will draw them away from the Lord but those who endure to the end shall be saved Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to listen to this deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons oh pastor Kirk that could never happen to me it happens these are people who departed from the faith who deserted the faith and gave heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I have long believed and long taught that the last, fall, last days falling away from the faith was not going to be millions of people just one day waking up saying, I'm through with this. I don't believe in it. It's all hype. I don't believe it anymore. I'm through with it. No, it's going to be much more subtle than that. 
It's going to be much more diabolical than that. It's going to be much more sinister than that. Men and women are not going to fall away from the Lord in ballparks and bars. They're going to fall away from the Lord sitting on the front pews of the church houses. They're going to come into churches and they're going to lift up their hands and they're going to worship a Jesus, but it will not be the Jesus. And they will feel the anointing of a spirit, but it will not be the spirit. It will be a deceiving spirit. And they will listen to messages, but they will not be filled with truth that sets them free. It will be doctrines of demons. And they will go to church believing that they are serving God, that they are hearing the gospel, that they are worshiping Jesus and being filled with the spirit. But it will all be demonic as they are bewitched by these seducing spirits and they will walk away from God. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, you preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with long suffering and doctrine because the time is coming when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they'll begin to accumulate and heap to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And we're seeing that happen today. Men and women no longer know how to endure strong teaching that confronts their sin. They want an accommodating gospel that will allow them to live their life the way that they want to live without any kind of consequence. Folks, we cannot cave to the spirit of this age, no matter how bewitching it may be. we got to come out from that and live for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. (laughs) Folks, it is time to wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Wake up. we got to come out of that bewitching spirit. The desperate times are upon us. Some of you are here with the fast last week. You remember I was talking to Dee. D is a counselor in the school system. We'll leave all of that nameless. She came to me after the service last week. We talked about the Holy Spirit. and She says, I'm going to tell you something. This past week, there was an eight-year-old girl, eight years old, sat in my office. She said, I'm part of a group called the Wolf Pack. We're all eight-year-old girls somewhere in that age grouping. They said, we're called the Wolf Pack. We have a president, a vice president. We have a treasure, eight years old. They said, the one thing that joins us all together is we have yet to determine our gender and our sexual identity. Eight years old. At eight years old, I was playing with G.I. Joes. Now these eight-year-olds are considering their gender and their sexual identity. Where are they coming up with this? It is a bewitching spirit that has taken over the United States of America. We're fascinated with it. These kids sit and they watch this garbage on TV. And television shows that some of us watch that openly celebrate these things. She said not long after that, I believe it was a 10 year old boy, said to her, I've already planned out my suicide. I know how I'm going to do it. I've hidden everything in the house. And all I'm waiting for is the time. And I'm going to end my life. Ten years old. What stress is a ten year old under? I'm going to tell you. There is a devil in hell that hates you. That hates your kids. 
that hates everything about you because you serve God and he is bent on your destruction. When will we wake up? Who has bewitched us? Who has cast a spell on us today that we would seek perfection in our flesh rather than the spirit? Are the miracles that we so desperately need to see today a product of masterfully produced services or is it by the Holy Spirit? Have we become so charmed with technology and fashion and being life coaches and motivational speakers that we no longer know how to wait upon the Lord until we're clothed with power from on high? Do we know how to wait until suddenly a sound from heaven comes in and we're transformed by the power of God? you to listen to me today folks I struggle because I feel more and more like a dinosaur and there are probably some people that think man I wish he would just go into extinction but I'm going to tell you as long as there is breath in these lungs I am going to preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire because without it we'll never make it we'll never make it listen I'm not against lights. I love this cool set. I'm not against lights. I'm not against technology. Even at a a, a time when we were away with the staff this past week, we talked about ways to utilize our cell phones for ministry. And I know it sounds strange, but I'm going to use every tool I have to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I'm not against lights and technology. I'm not against wearing jeans on the platform. I'm not against coffee being served out in the in the cafe before service. I'm not against any of that. What I am against is a day when we think that all of that matters when it comes to the heart of man. Folks, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing a suit or you're wearing jeans or you're wearing shorts. It doesn't matter if it's Starbucks or it's Maxwell House. If God is not in it, then he cannot set the captive free. It is just that simple. Come on, folks. I'm going to tell you, when a family walks into a church with a demon-possessed teenager, you better be able to serve up something more than a double-shot espresso. You better have power from on high in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you are with me today? We need God to set our world free. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless God, bless God, bless God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My time is over, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Since when did that matter to me? We'll sit in a movie for two hours and think nothing of it. You know? I'm not going to take long. Listen to what... Because we need the baptism. We're going to move away from the, the bewitched. But we need a baptism. In Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, he says this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He commanded them. Now hold on to that for a moment. In Acts chapter 8, a man named Philip wasn't even an apostle. He was a deacon. 
He went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And multitudes listened to him, hearing and seeing miracles. Demons were being cast out of the possessed. Those who were paralyzed and lame were being healed. And they called upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says there was great joy in that city. It wasn't because they had light and smokes and the pastor wore jeans. But because they had the Holy Spirit of God. They believed the gospel and they were baptized in water. The Bible makes it very clear that they were baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were saved and this was the the public declaration. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. But watch this. Acts 8 verse 14. Now when the apostles who were still in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they immediately sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Listen, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. See, this is why we believe, among other scriptures, that there are two experiences with the Holy Spirit. We believe that everyone who is genuinely saved is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't, I don't want anyone to leave here saying, well, Pastor Kurt told me that I don't have the Holy Spirit until... No. If you have genuinely been regenerated and saved by the power of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying that. But what we believe and what we believe Scripture bears out is that there is a second experience with the Holy Spirit where you are not just filled, but you are immersed in the Holy Spirit where literally there is an infusion of heavenly power into your life so that literally everything that God has called you to do is now being done by the power of God working inside of you. We believe that. And when I read these two scriptures and other scriptures with them, I see the posture that Jesus took and the apostles took that tells me that there were two great concerns. And with this, I'm going to close. The first concern that they had, the first concern that they possessed was just very simply that a day would come when the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be seen as an option. Can I tell you, folks, The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not optional. It's not a suggestion that you can opt into or opt out of. The baptism is a commandment. Jesus commanded his disciples. This was after his resurrection, so they were saved. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. I don't want you to share your faith. I don't want you to talk to anybody because you're not ready. Until you've been clothed with power from on high. Folks, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an option. It is a command. Now the reason we struggle saying that is because then what people turn around and say is, well then you're saying that everybody has to speak in tongues in order to, uh, to, to be a true believer. I didn't say that. I do believe that tongues will follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's normative. I believe if I had time, I could walk you through the book of Acts and show you how that is. I believe that tongues will follow the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible doesn't tell us to seek speaking in tongues. 
The Bible says, seek the Holy Spirit. Seek all that God has for you. Tongues will come. Go after God with total abandon. That's what it is. He doesn't want us to see this as an option. He wants you to see this as a command. I have no right to try and do anything until I have been clothed with power from on high. Folks, I've read this book. And when I read it, I'm intimidated because what God called me to do, I can't do on my own. But he's given me power from on high to do it in Jesus' name. Amen? Bless God. Now, the second concern that they had was the delay between salvation and that baptism. Because the longer that you live without the baptism of power in the Holy Spirit, the more you will trust in your knowledge, in your strength, in your willpower, and not on the Spirit of God. That's why when Jerusalem heard that the Spirit, or that that they were being saved in Samaria, they immediately went to Peter and John and said, quickly, get down there. Because we don't want them to think that they can do this on their own. We want them to be filled completely with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We want them to be baptized. God forgive us for letting people into the kingdom thinking they can do it in their own strength. You can't do it without Him. You can only produce the fruit of God through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Can we cease today from being bewitched And can we be baptized again and again and again in the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. Come on, praise His great name. Bless God. Would you stand to your feet here this morning? Hallelujah. Folks, I'm not going to take the time right now for us to come to the altar. I'd like you to make your space right there your altar.